Okay, welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is totally July of 2021. We are three DMs. We're talking about our games. We're helping each other out. Uh, I am Jeff. This is Sam. Hello. And that is Mike. Hello. All right, so that's, that's it. That's your intro. Let's get started. We're going to talk about our games. We're going to ask questions. We're going to help each other out. It's going to be super fun. Uh, and first on the docket is... Sam Dillon. Oh, am I really? Okay. You are. I was not expecting that. Didn't know I was going to come up first so quickly. Uh, okay, so, um, all right. So I did actually take notes because so many things happened the last couple of games. Uh, and so basically, um, so the party is, they made it to East Haven. Okay. And, um, and when they got to East Haven, they fought the Dwergar. I, I actually talked about this last time. They fought the Dwergar. They defeated um, uh, Durth, but he he actually uh, went tiny. He reduced him, his own size, and he got away. And then three Dwergar hammer, hammers came in. There, there are these weird Dwergar wearing these like these giant metal suits with like a claw and a hammer, and and so they're really really cool. They defeated those. Um, and uh, and then they they were talking to um, th- they found the plans and they found two sets of plans and one of the th- one of the sets of plans was a map that showed more of the dragon's flight path although they didn't know what it was yet because it's not like it says dragon's flight path it just had some arrows on it and um, and then uh, they also found a little engineering document a little parchment that was like an engineering blueprint of of a dragon. And it had like two or three different areas pointed out on it, and like it said, like uh, you know, uh, need to reinforce this joint here at the wing, and need to reinforce this, and need to add spikes to the tail for maximum devastation and stuff like that. And uh, and then um, and so they found since they found that they kind they basically put two and two together because they had found all the Charlin in the um, in the Dwergar uh, fortress hideout. So they they finally have put two and two and two and two and two together and with all these clues, and they have figured out that there's a dragon construct. It's being created. It's probably being built of Shardolin. It's being created by the Dwergar, and they need to go find it. They had previously been asked to look for the missing fishermen in East Haven because uh, I wanted them to do – originally I had wanted them to do the Toil and Trouble quest because I wanted them to have the cauldron, right? And I wanted them I wanted them to meet the hag because I, I super up-powered the hag because hags are part of the cult of oral. Anyway, so they chose not to do it. They wanted to go find – the fortress and stop stop them building the dragon right away. So when they were making that decision, Velen shows up, and I mean she had been in town previously anyway because she was there to see Dazan get fried. And so Velen gives them the use of her zombie dog sleds so that they can hot foot it out to uh, out to Zardarok's fortress. So they can follow the map and go to the spot where. The X is because they found a map previously. They found a map that had a D in East Haven for for where Dearth was, and an N in uh, Care Koenig where Nildar was, and an X 
on the spine of the world where Zardarak was. And so that's they, they had already taken care of Dirth and Nildar, so they wanted to go find Zardarak. They figured that has to be where the dragon is being built. So they spent a lot of that session traveling from East Haven to the spine of the world and climbing the mountain. And they had the uh, summer star from the black cabin. Remind, remind us what that is. Yeah, it's 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 the gyroscope that Macridius made that explodes if you touch it. But then if you repair it, you can actually use it. And what it does is it it casts a control weather spell, which allows you to control the weather within five miles of in, in a five mile radius. So they cast this. And so one of the one of the PCs figured out that they uh, that 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 it, you could actually fix it and and use it to cast that spell, but they think it'll only work once. Okay, so they cast the spell, and so now I have pointed out to them. Okay, now you're moving through Icewind Dale, and you have created this five mile radius bubble of good weather. Basically, well, I mean, not really good weather because you can only move it in steps, right? But basically, good weather compared to what's going on outside. Because also, the other thing is it's midwinter, so it's a huge blizzard day and all that stuff. So they they travel all this way. It's obvious to Oral that they have used this this device because, of course, they've created a, an anomaly in her everlasting rhyme, right? They spend a lot of time climbing up the mountain. As they get up to the fortress, the dragon flies out. They immediately decide to descend back down the mountain to chase the dragon. They get to Dugan's Hole. It's complete. I mean, so now, by the way, by the time they travel down and then they go across the tundra and they get all the way back to Dugan's Hole, even though they have the zombie dogs, the zombie dogs still can only go so fast. It's just that they don't have to rest. So... It's they've now been traveling and doing things for something like 16 hours at this point, 20 hours at this point. Right. So they're all of them pretty much have a level of exhaustion. Okay, And so they get there and Dugan's Hole is completely devastated, completely. It's basically gone. It's just rubble. They get to Goodmead. It's basically gone. It's just rubble. Now, those two towns, they never had any interaction with. So, like, it doesn't really I mean, they it causes them to, you know, understand that it's a problem but they don't really i mean it's not a personal thing for them because they never went to those two towns then they get to east haven and the dragon has destroyed about half the town and they fight the dragon and they do not kill the dragon but they do a boatload of damage in the first round of of this fight they do a crap ton of damage because i let the dragon fly low i didn't keep it totally out of range i let it fly low and do these really low strafing runs because I had already decided that it was going to have destroyed half the town, you know, and and I wanted them to be able to fight it, but then it was going to fly away anyway. I knew they probably couldn't kill it in one round, but I knew they'd do a lot of damage to it in one round, and they did a crap ton of damage. It took out one of them, and it almost dropped another one, and then it flew off. So that was the end of that session. So at the beginning of the next session, they get they Velen gives them some um, some healing potions. Right. Velen has become their uh, their real big ally in this. And it's I'm, I'm curious how it's going to turn out. This is probably a discussion for another day, but it's it's going to turn out really interesting when it gets to the end. And, and Velen has to decide whether she's actually going to betray them and try to activate Ithrin or 
if she's actually really is who she said she was, what she told them, because she told them she was a member of the Arcane Brotherhood, but she was a good member of the Arcane Brotherhood. And really all she wants is she wants to keep the knowledge out of the wrong hands. And so she's all for learning the knowledge, but she really isn't for the destruction of the world. So she wants to keep the, the, the knowledge that's really powerful out of the bad people's hands, right? And they kind of don't believe her, but now she's been helping them pretty much the whole time. So, uh, you know, they suspect that she is a villain, not just because her name is Villain, but <laughs> – they suspect she's a villain, and but she's been really good to them so far. She's been really good to them, okay? So she gives them a bunch of healing potions so that they don't have to um, take a break before they go chase the dragon. But they still are traveling a lot slower than the dragon, so when they get to the next town over, because they saw the direction he flew off, when they get to the next town over, that happens to be uh, Caradineval, and I, I – I ruled that the dragon didn't because it knows now that they're powerful. So it didn't stick around to completely decimate the entire town, but it destroyed about half of Cairdineval. And then it went to Kerkonig and it destroyed about a third, maybe a half of Kerkonig. And as they're getting there, of course, they're passing all these refugees that have started going towards Bryn Shander because everything else is getting destroyed. Bryn Shander actually has a complete wall around the city, um, and most of these other little tin towns don't. And so they've been passing refugees and whatnot. But they, but they, when they get to Karakonig, they see the dragon fly off to the north, more towards Tourmaline and Lonelywood, and. Um, so they they really don't like that. So so basically, the f- half of ten towns are basically gone. They've been completely destroyed. So it's five towns now. F- uh, pr- pretty much, <laughs> pretty much completely destroyed. I mean, yeah. So it's five towns now. So, but I mean, the thing is that when they left to go climb the mountain, they had sent when they decided not to go look for the fishermen that were that were missing. They instead told the speaker of East Haven, hey, we're not going to do this for you because they told the speaker they were going to do it for them. Okay, And so when they when they told when they decided they weren't going to, they said, but hey, there's a much more pressing problem than three missing fishermen. Here's what the problem is. You need to go send messengers out to all of the tin towns to tell them that there's going to be a big dragon coming to attack it because we don't know if we're going to be able to stop it. At its source, right? So, 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 even though a lot of the towns got destroyed, they saved the majority of the population because most of the population believed the warnings and went from their hometowns to Bryn Shander to try to be protected, or they went and uh, they hid out in the woods and all that kind of stuff, so that they, so that the families were safe, even if the buildings were going to get destroyed. So they saved a lot of tin towns. Tin towns is is depicted in a really weird way, like. Mm-hmm. Because, because as I re- like, it's described as like being uh, a community, communities of of like outcasts, and if you're, you know, if you're running from the law in other places, it's kind of a frontier town, and it's a little bit lawless and whatever. But it's also full of people that like seem to actually really care about each other for the most part, other than the sacrifices and all that. So it's, it's a really weird uh, thing. Like the two that are most specifically sort of outcasts that my party has dealt with are East Haven, which started as like a pirate's den kind of thieves guild major city, and um, Lonelywood, which is where like all of the lawless people got sent away and exiled out of the the sort of more civilized towns, right? And so like – yeah, it's weird, but that's kind of a historical thing. But, you know, if you don't like the towns and you don't like the people in them, why would you want care if they get saved anyway, right? Like, so it's written in a way that makes some of the people very likable. 
You know, some of them are not likable, but some of them are likable. So in, in any case, the thing is that when my party was in Lonelywood, I really they really loved Speaker Huddle. Speaker Huddle is a little halfling woman who is who's the speaker of Lonelywood. And I made it so that she had like nine or ten kids and they all had really like fun like halfling names like dollop and whisk and you know things like that and the kids really loved loved the dogs because the party had just gotten their dogs for the dog sled the non-zombie dogs and so the kids were playing with the dogs and the kids really fell in love with the dogs and so the party had a really good interaction with these kids so when they saw the dragon fly off in that direction they were really really upset they're like oh we we can't wait we got to go get those and then they had a little debate about whether they should go to Bryn Shander where they knew all the refugees were going to go so they could help defend where the majority of people are now or whether they should go to Tourmaline and try to intersect the dragon before it gets to Lonelywood because they didn't want Lonelywood to be destroyed. And so um, they ended up going to Tourmaline. They fought the dragon. They defeated the dragon. It only got to uh, destroy about uh, just a little bit, maybe a fifth of Tourmaline. I had told them that the dragon was powered by a red dragon heart along with some magical stuff and all that. And they, they completely forgot about that. They didn't bother to take the, <laughs> to take the red dragon heart or anything. They destroyed the dragon. It, when it fell, it, it when it landed it, it, and, and was defeated, it like destroyed a whole bunch of buildings that are now under it and all this kind of stuff. They went off with Velen to go to the elven tomb up near Lonelywood so that they could rest and get rid of their exhaustion. Cause everybody was just, they were just, it was, they'd been going for about 24 hours by then. Right. Mm. After they woke up the next day, Velen tells them, the thing we have to do now is we have to go to the Sea of Moving Ice to look for the island of Solstice where Oral supposedly has a home. We have to get out there because we need to steal the Codicil of White. And if we can do that, then we can go um, defeat the real main threat, which is in the glacier, which is this this ancient nethery city that you know about now. And so they basically agree to do that. They they they're sure that ten towns can fend for itself. That they'll start rebuilding and they'll do whatever they're going to do. Is that a thing that you added? No, that's actually what villain okay. villain wants them to do. Okay, because that you need the codicil of white to get into the glacier to find the city. Okay, so that's that's actually written in the book. So I had them start doing that. So they were going up north uh, and there's a whole bunch of like unfulfilled or unsatisfied threads with some of the some of the parties. So I, I'm starting to deal with all those. And one of those is that one of the reghead uh, tribesmen that's in the party, his whole sort of main thing is that he is going to uh, – he's looking for the elk because all the elk have fled the area, and that's uh, that's what – that's you know his, his elk tribe. So that's really putting a hurt on his tribe because they don't have any food, and they uh, – all of their you – know, all of their sort of typical ways that they behave are now no longer applicable because all the elk are gone. And so uh, they – as they're leaving Lonelywood, they're going th- through the last part of the forest, around the last part of the forest, and they see a big herd of elk run out of the forest. And he's like, oh my god, there's a whole bunch of elk there. And they're running like they're scared or something. We have to go check it out. So they stop. Velen stays back with the dog sleds, and he sort of sneaks into the forest, and he finds three ice trolls attacking a couple of elk and trying to, like, eat these elk because the ice, ice trolls are hungry, right? And so he gets the party to come over. They end up having this big fight. The, the elk that they had been attacking, the ice trolls, gets away. 
and bellows and calls its its herd back. And so the party destroys these three ice trolls. It was a really fun, really awesome battle. It was super duper exciting. Um, the party, I may, I let them become sixth level after defeating the dragon. So it's uh, five sixth level um, PCs fighting three ice trolls and trying to make sure that the trolls at the same time don't attack any more elk. It was it was a lot of fun. There were you know um, fallen tree trunks that were picked up and used as clubs, and there was a lot of fireballing going on, or or fire you know not fireballs, but some some fire effects <laughs> going on because they knew they were trolls. And so there was it was a really really fun really fun battle. And at the end of it, I had this enormous gargantuan elk lead the rest of the herd back into the forest and sort of communicate with the elk tribesmen and the the tribesmen went and like bowed to the as soon as the enormous elk came out the tribesmen was like oh my god the rest of the party got scared and they were like hiding behind you know they were like oh and he went and he like bowed to the elk and the elk sort of leaned down and dropped something out of its mouth and it was the bell of anjaguk and the bell of Anjagook is what you have to ring to get the whale to come to take you over to the island of Solstice. So they were going to have to find that. But now, of course, the, this this big elk has given it to them. And the elk telepathically tells the redhead tribesmen, you know, thank you for for rescuing, for saving the herd. Like, uh, uh, there's something much more poetic than what sure. I'm about to say. But basically it was, thank you for doing this. You know, you have proven that your people really do want what's best for the elk. And, you know, may the power of the elk go with you. And, you know, all, all this kind of <laughs> stuff. But it was really, really satisfying for that PC because he had been asking about elk everywhere they went. Have you seen elk? We're looking for the elk herds. We don't know where they went. My people are starving and blah, blah, blah. And so now, you know, basically the elk, the elk told him, your tribe has treated the elk herd better and and been better for us than any other, you know, in the past and, and definitely better than what Oral's people are doing and, you know, stuff like that. So that was really satisfying for them. And now when they went back to their sleds and he had the bell, Velen's eyes got really big and she was like, oh my God, where did you get that? Because I was going to have to try to get you to go find that if, if, if it wasn't there, because I knew it existed, but I wasn't sure it was there. And so so they, it was a very satisfying ending, but there was a lot going on those last two mm-hmm. uh, sessions. And um, they uh, they got along much better these last two sessions after, you know, last time I talked about the fact that one of them was not telling everyone everything. Mm-hmm. And so that has stopped and they worked a lot better as a team this time. And so uh, it went a, a lot better. And I'm now I'm now out of chapter four. So basically I'm going into chapter five for this. You know, the first two chapters took so long. I mean, this was session 19. Okay. The first two chapters took 16 of those sessions and then 17 and 18 were basically chapters three and four where they, you know, went and did the dragon stuff. And this last chapter was the end of that. So there's a tendency in a lot of adventures. um, I've noticed to, to do that, right? You, the area where you spend a lot of your time is not necessarily the area that gets the most, like, you know, descent into Avernus. There's a whole gazetteer on Baldur's Gate, uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and it acts like Baldur's Gate, you know, it's right. Baldur's Gate, descent into Avernus. And yet, you know, you spend like 
two, three levels in Baldur's Gate, and then like nine levels in Avernus. <laughs> like Baldur's Gate is not the the main setting for for that adventure, right? Um, uh, and there's yeah. you know, and then Rhyme sort of you spend all of your time sort of doing this low level stuff, and then there's then it, it does the opposite, right? You you spend a lot of the time in the low level areas, and then you sprint to the end. I mean, yeah, the, I the issue with Rhyme, though, is that because it's more sandboxy, the, the problem that I can see with it is it relies on the DM to put enough hints and threads in there in chapters one and two. And this is what takes so long, right? To chapters one and two. But you have to put enough hints in there that by the time you get to chapters three, four, five, six, seven, that it all makes sense. Right. And that it's not just that, oh, here's something out of the blue that you've never heard about before because – well, I didn't actually – you didn't do that quest or I didn't actually you know, thread in a, a clue about that. Like that's the problem with writing something that is so sandboxy at first you know, right. in the first half. And then all of a sudden it accelerates them right through to the end. I mean like I – yeah, I'm on session 19, but I can probably – will spend – two sessions getting to the solstice and then doing the solstice stuff. We'll spend two sessions in the caves of hunger and we'll spend two sessions in Yithrin. So we're probably, I probably only got six sessions left. I'm basically done with the bulk of the adventure. But the thing is that in order for that to be the case, I had to give them exactly the right clues so that they could do this part so quickly. Otherwise they're going to be like, okay, what now? I don't know. Hmm. Where are we going? I have no clue. I find that I am wrong about those assessments like 95% of the time. <laughs> like I would have predicted that my my current adult game uh, would have probably been done like, I don't know, a month or two ago. And yet uh, – and here we are, right? Uh, a thing happened and I'm like, oh, well, this would lead well into this Candlekeep Mysteries adventure. And uh, and there's a bunch of other appropriately leveled – so I'll, I'll squeeze them all in. And now and, and now they're – and I'll talk about this a little bit. Now they're interested in going off and checking out this one thing. And I'm like, I never thought – in a million years, you would spend the time dealing that. Now I got to figure out what that is. Yeah. So I, I find, uh, and 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 some of that is is weird for me, right? Because, like, I get to a point where it's like, okay, we're 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 in the the last act. You know, the end is in sight, and I kind of want to sprint to the end and see the the story wrap up, and then move on to new things. Um, but then I always have to like pull back on my own reins in that way. It'd be like, eh, hold on. Like, this is a campaign. Let it breathe. Let it have its time. If they want to go off and do things, let them go off and... I'm, how often are they going to be 15 plus levels into the game and actually get to do stuff? Let's t- let them take the time to go do stuff. So, um, but it's a it's a struggle literally every time I play. <laughs> so. You know, I when I have a home campaign in my homebrew setting, that happens a lot. I'm really bad at like estimating how many sessions before we finish something because it's my own homebrew setting and if they pull on another thread, then we just go in that direction and it's who knows, right? Like, and that could happen at any time. They don't necessarily always complete every quest. Sometimes they get sidetracked and they go. And so that's okay. Um, but in a writ in a published adventure, like I'm much more likely to keep them basically on track. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the second half of, of rhyme is, is really, like totally on track it it's it's not a sandbox it's completely you know sort of typical uh, i hate the word railroad because that's always had like a negative connotation but it's much more linear 
than the first half, right? And so now that we're on the linear road, like there's not a lot of other places to go. The only the good thing about it is it's open enough that I can tie up some of those loose threads. You know, I, I mentioned the elk one. That was complete. That whole ice troll thing, I completely made that up. The whole elk thing, I completely made that up based on the PC's background. And that's what I end up doing, even when I'm writing published adventures. Like I could say published adventure says I'm going to be finishing Curse of Strahd in, in four sessions or whatever. But then, you know, I throw in this thing for this player and, and we we suddenly go off on this tangent, you know, and so it is still in, I still end up being wrong. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult thing. It, it has been a problem for me in the past, specifically when I homebrew, but not as much when I if I run. You know, it kind of depends. I, you know, in person, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, we could have a whole episode about that. It's, it's difficult to judge, and yet I don't think it matters. Like as long as we don't have a situation where people are leaving and and they need the campaign to be over before they move or whatever. Like as long as that's not going on, then it's fine. Let it go as long as it goes. And I've had that too. When I ran Tomb right. of Annihilation, that's what happened. Was half my group was suddenly leaving because they were moving away with. You know, suddenly with that, you know, I mean, they we had like three months notice, but it's a, you know, Tomb of Annihilation. You could take, you know, <laughs> many, many months to finish that, depending. And it was like I had to do it in like nine sessions. And and we just and all, we just did the dungeon at the end, and it still took <laughs> several months. So, okay, uh, it sounds like that is the end of your time. So let me remind folks that if they want to support the show, we are sponsored this month by Galder's Gazetteer. It is a book, uh, I think it's like $35, $40-ish. Um, Maybe that's the print on demand. I should, I should know these things. Uh, <laughs> but it is, a, it is a book of advanced rules uh, for the game. And then it adds all kinds of new subclasses and adventures and all these other things in order to support those rules. Um, and so you should totally check that out, especially because the proceeds for the book go to the, I think it's like the Cancer Research Foundation. Um, it is named for uh, a character of a guy named Lawrence who had a rare form of cancer. Uh, and he he wanted, uh, while he was fighting this cancer, he wanted his, his character to go down uh, in D&D lore. And so this book is that, and the proceeds go to cancer research. So... Check it out. Uh, links will be in the show notes uh, because drive-through RPG links are too long to, to post. And uh, Lawrence's story, I think dot blog is the the story of that individual, but Lawrence is not spelled in the way you might expect, depending on where you're from. So anyway, links you'll find them at thetomeshow.com. The wizard Galder has traveled to many many worlds. Along his journey, he took notes on the mysterious and fantastic things he encountered. Many of the secrets he learned are chronicled now in Galder's Gazetteer, published by Zipperon Games. Galder's Gazetteer is a 5th edition D&D supplement that is an advanced expansion of the game rules, including new actions, conditions, and martial options that are all fully integrated into new classes, archetypes, ancestries, feats, spells, and DM tools, plus... Adventures for both 5th and 15th level to highlight these advanced rules options. Galder's Gazetteer was inspired by a gamer named Lawrence, who was dying of a rare form of cancer, and wanted his character to be remembered in the annals of D&D lore. 100% of the proceeds for this book are donated to the Cancer Research Institute. You can find Galder's Gazetteer at drivethroughrpg.com at the regular price of $35 for a PDF, 
or $47 for a print-on-demand physical copy. You can find more about Lawrence's story at lawrencescampaign.blog. Check out the show notes for links. So it is my turn. Let me start my timer. Um, so here's the thing. We are recording a little bit early for our July episode. It's only been three weeks since the last time we recorded, I think. Um, and I can't talk about two of those three weeks. Um, so the only, and, and the other game, the other session I played with my adult group, um, we were missing two people. And as a result, uh, we didn't play the normal campaign. So I can talk a little bit about the one shot I did of Aeon Wave um, that might be Yay. familiar to some people around here. Um, and I can also talk a little bit about my the game I played with my kids. But there wasn't a lot of that either because we played one session and then my oldest went off to camp for a month. So, so here we are. Um, so, yeah. So we played Aeon Wave last Friday. Um, Aeon Wave is a fate, uh, a fate core one shot module written by Mike Shea. Um, was that back in what, 2015, 2016? Long, yeah, no, earlier than that. Longer I than think. that? I think, I think uh, the setting mentions it takes place in like 2016. So I just guessed <laughs> that it was sometime around there. <laughs> Or that that's when the, the Aeon Wave happened, maybe, was 2016? 2014 is when... 2014 is when you wrote it. When it came out, yeah. Okay. So, um, Aeon Wave is... is uh, Steampunk, Megacorps, run everything. Cyber... What's that? Cyberpunk. Yeah, not cyber... Yeah, there's, no, that, there's no steam. Yes, not steampunk. <laughs> cyberpunk. Yes, I got my punks wrong. Right. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, uh, an ancient billions of year old Martian satellite has started beaming a signal with all of this, uh, ancient Martian technology data in it. And Earth, Earth's megacorps are in the process of trying to, like, sort out what it all means. And the players, uh, end up getting mixed up in the whole thing. I played in this uh, adventure one year at Gen Con when Mike was playtesting it, um, after which I backed it on Kickstarter, and then I ran it for my old group in North Carolina, and it was one of the best sessions we'd ever played. And since we were missing a couple people and needed something that was a good one-shot, I, I floated this as an idea, and uh, and they were on board for this, too. So I played it again, and it played well again, even though I... Hadn't played um, Fate Core pretty much since the last time I ran Aeon Wave. Uh, it's an easy enough system to grok. I think I watched the the tabletop with Will Wheaton and Felicia Day and John Rogers just to refresh my memory, and I skimmed through the the rule book again, um, and I read through the Aeon Wave book again just to refresh my memory on it, and that was enough. And I picked it up, and we we went with it, and it went well. Um, I think everybody had a good time. They, their approach, it's interesting. Like, so as is oftentimes sort of the way adventures work, uh, and, and apropos to the conversation Sam was having earlier, um, this is an adventure that starts relatively linear, goes real sandboxy, 
and then ends sort of linear again. Although the ending isn't, isn't even so much linear as great, is. Great it's big just, choices at the end. Yeah. Right. It's, and it's just like a single point. It's a single event. It's, uh, you know, it's not a linear, right. it's not a line. It's just one encounter at the end. Um, but their approach, the, the middle part is basically like, okay, you, you know, you got to get into this megacorps uh, tower and make your way to the, the AI laboratory, right? The inner AI laboratory somehow. Um, but there's an, no set necessarily in any path on how to do that, right? You, uh, it includes several NPCs and several locations and you can sort of like, now you figure it out, right? Um, and they took an approach that was different than I think anything that I had seen in the previous two times I'd played it. Um, this group went, a lot more like slick, a lot more uh, skilled and stealth based than the previous two times that I had played. Right, I think um, you know I'm nobody played the long shot, nobody played the gunslinger, right? Um, nobody was the high combat person. We had the shadow dancer, we had the infiltrator, and we had the the net runner uh, or our or our uh, characters. And so they took a very different approach of like, no, we're going to, we're going to bluff slash hack our way through the front doors. Um, and then we're going to, uh, we had worked out that one of the characters, like the infiltrator, like had a real, um, revenge scheme going on with Dr. Chen, who's like the head researcher, um, of the place. Um, so we had to sort of worked out that that was a thing. And so, you know, while we're here, let's go up and, and screw with Dr. Chen. But that, of course, gives them access to the to the AI laboratory. And so that's the way they went. They hacked their way up to Dr. Chen's suite. Um, and then uh, Dr. Chen was going to, uh, to, you know, alert security or whatever, as he can do fairly easily. And then we did the, the the complex contest of they're sprinting across the suite to stop him while he's uh, trying to delete all the data on his hard drive before they get there. Um, and and it worked out well because the whole adventure like ends as they leave and then like the building theoretically like blows up as, as they, they walk away in slow motion, right? Uh, and the hacker like s- used Dr. Chin's terminal to hack into the to the fusion reactor in the basement and set it to explode, to set it to overheat and explode. So now then they caused it instead of, instead of, um, was it Pythia, the AI exploding it, right? Um, then ultimately at the end, I think they made the decision that every group I've been part of made, which was, okay, let's, let's let the super quantum computing AI out. And let it decide the fate of humanity. <laughs> Every group I've been in has made that choice. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so, so yeah, so that it is interesting. Um, but it also, like, I get it because, like, you've just been through all of this. Yeah, it would be kind of disappointing if, like, the solution was, and then everything went back to the way it was, and we get arrested. You know, <laughs> right? I think part of it is like. The world is so bad. How bad can it be if you let the quantum right. AI out? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like it can't be worse. But it's so much fun. So yeah. So, yeah, so that was my um, that was my adult group. Uh, my the group with my kids. Uh, we were playing Gamma World. We've made our characters. We ran through the opening. I'm setting the first adventure 
uh, in the area around Fargo, so it leads well into the second adventure. Um, and they they went through the, the whole setup, and they got to the adventure location, and they met the guards at the entryway, and the guards just completely kicked our butt. Um, it probably would have been a TPK, but I managed to basically say that my character because we with you're playing with the kids and whatever i throw a dmpc in there usually because to help them out um but my dmpc basically made the skill roll to beg for their life and they let us sort of let me sort of drag the the bleeding husks of my friends away <laughs> and so that's <laughs> that's where we'll pick up next time is is taking another shot at, at getting in right um, I think it's a little bit tricky because we're also learning the game and the kids don't know the kind of power that they have available to them and they don't use that, use it very much or very well. So, um, that'll be a trick as well. And, and I don't know, I think the adventures are actually written for a party of five. So I probably need to eliminate a, an opponent or two. Um, so I have that issue as well with my in my game that has the two teen boys that they just um, they're just not as good at like I can't I don't want to say they're not as good at using their powers or or as of, of finding the the optimal sort of way to do something. It's just that it's all so new and overwhelming to them still, I think, even though it's been like a year. But like we don't play very often. And when we do. I hit them with situations that they're not used to, right? Like when they play with each other, they kind of do typical, like they either do something right from a book or whatever. And when I, when I run for them, I throw different things at them. So, cause I, you know, I want to get them used to being creative and responding. And, but as a result, like they sort of have, it's almost like they have this idea of, Oh, well, when I'm in this situation, this is the appropriate attack I should use against a creature. And this is the appropriate, whatever. Right. And then I hit them with something totally different and they have no idea what to do. And it's overwhelming for them to really look at everything on their character sheets and everything in their spells and everything in their abilities. And and they just honestly forget some abilities that they have, right? And and it's really interesting and fun, but it's the same sort of thing as what you're talking about where they just kind of – they don't always like do the thing that they – that if the p if the pcs were real people that the pc would actually do you know what i mean and that's totally fine I'm, it's not a derogatory comment at all it's just you know it is how it is it's it's a system mastery issue and and yeah that's that's just the way it is sometimes uh gm scott wants to know if anybody's played eclipse phase i've heard of it but i haven't played it i haven't played it okay played it uh i played the first edition eclipse phase i haven't played the second edition that they recently did um but i've only played it once so that it's a great, great, fantastic setting. I mean, the setting like blows your mind, but there's so many books and so many little setting widgets and whatnot. Yeah. It's really, really, really cool. And at the time I decided if I'm going to devote myself to this, I really need to like figure out how to make this game work for me and my group. And it just, it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in a position where I could spend that much energy on it. So I, we only ever played like once or twice, maybe two sessions. They also want to know how old the kids are in your group. So the boys are now 16 and just turned 15. They are uh, – they, they're not sort of typical 15 and 16-year-old boys. They don't have a lot of – they don't have access to video games. They don't watch a lot of movies. 
they're very sheltered in that respect. So um, they do read books, but uh, a lot of the a lot of the the things that they have access to are not not typical sort of things. So um, they're a little bit behind the curve in 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 the case of like pop culture and pop cultural references and in some of the sort of major tropes of fantasy like they get the basics or or gaming gaming strategy right. even yeah they they're they they play board games my wife and I got them into board games as well we give them a lot their family a lot of board games as gifts and whatnot to 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 try to help develop that sort of gamey side of the uh, of the tacticalness of, of a board game and making decisions and whatnot. But um, sometimes that doesn't translate as well to RPGs either. So, um, but no, I mean, they're, they're great kids and they're really fun to play with because they are creative. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like they're kind of dunces or something. That's not what I mean at all. It's just that they're not, when I play with adult players who play D and D even if the player's a relatively new player, like w- often what happens is they're really interested in, trying to figure out the best way to do something and they'll actually talk it through and well i'm going to do this because i think i'm hoping this is going to happen or i want to know if that happens or they'll ask does this work this way and the boys sometimes they'll just read something and they'll assume it works one way and they think it's not as cool so they just skip it and then they never use that thing (laughs) Mm. right or they never use an ability or they never they just they don't remember to use a particular ability or anything like that so it's yeah it's a thing okay so back to, to my my game uh, then. So I wanted to ask a little bit uh, about my future upcoming plans for as early as this Friday uh, for my adult group. Um, so because I expect that on Friday we're going to be getting back into the, the normal campaign. And they had just finished the Scrivener's Tale and finished the story arc of the character who – who died and was revivified in the middle of the tomb fighting a Sarak and um, the consequences that came from that. Uh, now they're still out there hunting the champions of the dark powers from Ravenloft. I think the most likely place they're going to go next is actually Elturel because I made one of the champions, because I'm doing a lot in this part especially to layer in cameos that will pay off when someday, you know, a year or so down the road, we play Descent into Avernus, right? And that's why I'm uh, I'm dealing with that. And so Gargoth is one of the the dark uh, champions, uh, and they have signed an infernal contract, <clears throat> promising to not kill Gargoth. Not that they necessarily could, because um, Gargoth's uh, dark uh, power that he's the champion of is the one who resurrects. So they've already seen him be struck through with, by a paladin and killed once, and then a few moments later stood back up. Um, and so they, they're going to try to trap him, and, and they need a celestial item to, tr- to bind him in. And they just went through this uh, – I guess I told you they did Scrivener's Tale, but we actually just did uh, Alcazar's appendix from Candlekeep, wherein there is an ancient wizard uh, who I made a, a Nar. Uh, from the the Empire of Narfel, which are known as demon binders, and so they learned a little bit about binding uh, demons that way, um, or in this case, a devil. And so they're going to. The idea is that um, they'll they'll have the opportunity to bind Gargoth into the celestial shield, which will then become the shield of the Hidden Lord for 
that later campaign, right? Uh, and I thought to do something different, right? We've done the, the, uh, Death Trap Dungeon and we've done the, the Gothic Horror and, um, we've done some more classic sort of dungeons and whatever, right? We've done all these different, we've done the urban, uh, Dragon Heist thing. I thought for Elturel, wouldn't it be neat if Gargoth has gathered up all of his followers and summoned a bunch of demons, uh, or I keep saying demons, devils, um, and we used the mass combat rules and, and we had like, I, I, I actually printed out the map of El Terrell and I had my, my youngest kid go through with a ruler and mark out one inch squares all over it so we can move the minis around as units and so sort of do a mass combat thing. <clears throat> and then, uh, I was thinking that the, the heroes would be doing something else. I kind of had in my head, maybe they'll, maybe they'll go off and free one of the heroes or one of the leaders of El Terrell, like Gideon Lightward will have been captured and they'll have to go infiltrate a camp. And, and so those, both th- those things will happen while Gargoth is running around doing his thing. And then he finally notices them when they get obnoxious enough and, and accomplish enough of their goals that he swoops down and then they have the opportunity to defeat him and bind him. Right. Um, but I am kind of interested in trying to figure out if it wouldn't be a good idea or if there wouldn't be a good way to – I don't know. That feels cliche to me. Like the PCs are off on the, on the infiltration mission while the larger battle is going on. Uh, but maybe it's not as that cliche because how often does mass combat really come up in modern D&D anyway? Um, so I don't know if anybody had thoughts on how to make that um, stronger. I have I have thoughts about mass combat. Yeah, have, did you use the the unearthed arcana rules for it? No. Okay. I did. So I used the unearthed arcana rules for a mass combat thing when I was running. Um, uh, what's the second rise? Of, uh, the rise of Tiamat. The rise of Tiamat is that the second one? Um, Whatever. The, I had the, a great battle outside the. Yeah, Tyranny Dragons Part Two, which I think is Rise of Tiamat. And it was weird. Uh, right? Horde of the it's Dragon like, Clean is the first half the, and yeah, then Rise of right. Tiamat is too. So it was, in, it was in Rise of Tiamat. It was right outside of, uh, right outside of the temple. And I had a great big battle with dragons and armies and all kinds of stuff. And like I remember like I changed the rules like halfway in because it was like not – it didn't work particularly well when you had creatures that were different in their power levels and stuff like that. Um. But I can tell you, having talked to lots of people about it and gotten lots of feedback about it, that the, the, the number one piece of advice you will get from lots of DMs when running mass combat is to run it as a story off screen and focus the attention down on the characters and what they're doing, what their part is in the battle. And, and there's some good reasons for that, which is like, you know, you already have a whole set of mechanics that are built around small party stuff. You stick, stick to what it, stick to what works. Uh, there's still lots of opportunities to change the situation, have the characters doing specific jobs, you know, think of them as the special forces that have to go in and handle very specific things. But what they're doing has a direct effect on the larger war. Uh, there's there's, you know, but but trying to teach them all a whole new set of mechanics that usually are pretty convoluted. And you like you don't know how long it's going to take. And yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm of the you know, I'm of I'm of the mind that taking the bigger battle, turning it into a narrative that's behind the scene and then building the adventures around the characters. So they still stick with their characters, even though the war is going on tends to work better. Well, I mean, generally speaking, I would agree, but I was specifically trying to find something different. 
because we've done a lot. <laughs> we've done a lot, right? And so I, this is uh, the the mass combat thing is a longstanding trope of D anD. d It is, but like there hasn't been rules for it in a long time, <laughs> right? Like look at it this way: they put it on at Thurkana and it didn't make it into a book. <laughs> oh no, I know. Six years. I mean, they didn't do anything with it in fourth. Fourth. They, haven't, they no. haven't done anything with it in fifth. I feel like there must right, have been right. something in third, and I know there was in I second. Think, yeah, it was. There was that miniatures. They yeah. they did a whole squad based miniatures it, book, yeah, but that was, it was really awesome. Base. It was skirmishing. Like it wasn't really big battles. Yeah. Right. 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 So the the best the best mass combat rules are the rules from the companion set in the Beck Me series, which is basic D and D, right? So you had the red box, the expert blue box, and then the third box was the teal colored companion set. So in like nineteen eighty six, that that's the best set of mass combat rules, right? Because the mass combat rules that were produced for AD and D were a mess, and th- these were for basic D and D. They were basic. They were very simple. They were easy to use. They were clear, but they worked. But the thing is that there's a reason nobody uses any of these rules anymore in D and D, right? Like it's really a it's really a huge shift yeah. to go from. Part, you know, it's it's sort of like I liken it to the shift that we talk about when we when we talked about Tomb of Annihilation, mm-hmm. right? And how the whole first part of it, the whole first two thirds of it, is like explore this and meet these different cultures and do these different things and go on these quests and fight these really cool you know zombie T Rexes, and then oh yeah, and now that you're tenth level, go into this dungeon and it's a dungeon death crawl. Right, right. Like right. it's such a a, a <laughs> modus operandi switch, right? Yeah. Like it's such a weird switch and that's what happens with mass combat too right the last uh, so with my in dnd brief the, with that campaign when it ended there was a huge battle because of course Laralac brought his mm-hmm. big zombie sea creature you know army to war but the way that I and I had to make kind of the same choice as what you're talking about. I had to decide: do I want to like split this down and make it a mini game where the party, the the players are acting like generals and and controlling different like platoons and do that for part of it and and see like how the you know basically which way is the tide turning and and you know who's winning this war and who, you know let's make some uh, some troops cards and you know I could have done that and it would have worked um, harder. On online i think maybe in some ways than in person um but i ultimately decided to to basically do what mike said i did a lot of the you know there's all these other people are fighting this battle and your job is to take out the leader so we're gonna go and i and i put them on a huge battle mat in albert and albert rodeo and they're on a huge battle mat and there's like all kinds of like undead whales and manta rays and zombies and sahuagin and all these horrible horrible like undead creatures swimming in and they're fighting their job is to kill the main boss their job is not to win the war their job is to kill the main boss and the rest of the other people in the world in the setting and the npcs are dealing with the rest of the army and that was the choice i had to make because um it just seemed easier, honestly, to do that than to try to institute, you know, a mass combat thing. So, so here's the thing: neither one of you even started to address my question, though. <laughs> so, I'm not, I'm not looking for feedback on whether or not I should try mass combat because I'm going to do it. I'm going to at least experiment with it. Mm-hmm. It might be a disaster. That's okay. We, we look I, forward to your feedback. No, next absolutely. Time. Yeah. And, I, and I have the, I have I've been DMing long enough that. 
if it's a disaster, like I can deal with that. Like I've, 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 sure. I'm fine. I'm not worried about that. I wanted to try out something a little bit different. See if, see if it's, if they enjoy it, whatever. Uh, my question is when I have the PCs off doing something else, is there some way <laughs> that I might consider making that more interesting than go off and, and free Gideon Lightward? Or is that fine? Just do this sort of, there's a camp out here. There's, it's full of devils. Uh, and you need to to get Gideon out until it pisses off Gargoth and he comes down to deal with you. I mean, so what? So you're so you're going to do mass combat at the same time as you're having the so, regular. No, no, no. So, know, so the, go the, off and do the plan is the plan. Yeah, well, yeah. So the plan is that the mass combat will happen where they will be stepping into different roles. It's not their characters leading the combat. They'll be they'll be playing the the leaders of of Elturel's forces or whatever. Uh, and then after that, the results of that might change, sort of how challenging what the PCs are doing, you know, because if it went really well, the, the, the forces are lighter. I, get or now. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having them running a quote, simple rescue mission while okay. the war is going on. Like there's not, I mean, the thing is it depends on their goal, right? Like that's sort of why I said it, what my description of D and D brief, the way I did that their main goal was to kill the leader. It didn't really matter to them. What was, I mean, it mattered in a way, but they weren't specifically going to affect right. the overall no, war because they needed to do their task. And so it's okay to have them doing some kind of other task. Well, and and the things that you both described, I mean, those are the ways that I have handled mass combat 95% of the time that I've run it in the last 20, 30 years, right? So so I'm, I'm familiar with all of your concerns and I share them and I've dealt with them before myself. I just wanted to play with something a little different this time around and actually give it a shot. So, um, So what are you going to do? What do you mean? What am I going to do? Uh, like what? What mass? Are you going to use the the unearthed arcana mass combat rules, or are you going to look at birthright? Or <laughs> no, I was going to I was going to try unearthed arcana. It looked relatively simple, um, yeah. and so I was going to give that a shot. I've even I yeah, even it, so before we were face to face, I'd even like made yeah. the stat cards. So I already have the stats for all the units and all that. I just have to recreate it for in person by Friday. Did you? Oh, so it's coming up right now. Because I was going to say, well, if you back Matt Colville's, if you back Max Colville's Kingdom and Warfare thing, it's going to have a mass combat. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have time for that. Although, so here's and strongholds and strongholds and followers has nice rules for different units and stuff like it? that. So, so he, here's the other thing that I have. So the, I basically at this point they have three possible things they might do before we get to the last encounter of the campaign. Uh, one of them is um, delve down into Undermountain and find Halaster. I honestly, they haven't expressed a lot of interest. I don't think we're going to do another giant dungeon dive. Um, so that's pro- that's the least likely to happen. The Elturel one seems like the most likely thing to happen. And honestly, once they've done that, they'll have all the pieces they need to do the like final encounter. Um, but they have expressed interest in hunting down one of the other champions that, that they are, uh, one of them had a vision of at the very beginning of this act. Uh, and it was the two Castellanter children from, uh, Dragon Heist. Um, they both, because of the, the deals that their parents made are basically soulless. And they were being held in the, the, the temple, the, the, the hall of justice. Um, in Waterdeep. And so I had w- the two of them simultaneously be chosen as 
champions of one of the dark powers who then like their bodies merged together and they became like this giant two-headed kaiju um, that busted out of the temple and stomped its way out of Waterdeep uh, and up to, to Neverwinter. Um, and that's kind of I, – I mostly just wanted to highlight, look, there's these horrible things out there stomping around and you need to do something about it. But like one of the characters like, but we had a vision about this one. You know, mostly because I'm like, yeah, because you know the kids and you made the choice to to put them in that situation, whatever. You know, I thought it'd be interesting to have consequences. But they've expressed interest several times about like running off and hunting down this giant kaiju thing. Uh, and I have stats for it. I was, there's actually a two headed uh, dragon in um, Legendary Dragons, which is a Kickstarter that I backed a while back because Dan Dillon, uh, pre him working at Wizards, uh, worked on this as well. Uh, and it's got a cool sort of two giant two-headed like CR20 or 23 or whatever uh, dragon that I figured I could reskin and turn into uh, a big kaiju thing, right? Um, but like I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen if they go there, right? Basically, it was last we heard it was up in, in Neverwinter and some rumors are saying that it grabbed Lord Neverember and flew away, right? That's That's all I have. <laughs> And I have stats for the creature. So I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen if they go after it. I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know what it's doing with Lord Never Ember, if it even has Lord. I'm not entirely sure. I, I keep sort of presenting them with bigger, shinier objects to, to keep them busy away from this thing. Uh, because I'm not, I don't have any anything except a stat block to, to run that entire adventure from. So I didn't know if anybody had any ideas. <laughs> No, nobody has that. <laughs> What'd you say, Mike? I said nothing leaps out. Nothing leaps out. Okay. Well, maybe maybe, uh, maybe that's it. They'll they'll go up to Never Ember and they'll find the trail and they'll follow it to like the spine of the world mountains where it just wants to be alone and and um, <laughs> you know hang out there and <laughs> then they'll kill it. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean. For me, the the way that that like how that played out would totally be dependent on the players and the PCs mm-hmm. that I you know and how they're how they're responding. So maybe, I mean that's that's hard to answer for somebody else's game. Maybe it'll go know? up to the ruined Netherese city in Rhyme of the Frost Maiden and they can go find it there. <laughs> there you go. I can get some use out of Rhyme. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, if they accidentally, you know, happen to activate the city when they're there, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. Get, get a little time traveling going on. Who, I mean, that could either solve or create a lot of problems, right? Well, because it would take the kaiju with it. So now you you go back in time 1,500 <laughs> years and there's a giant kaiju. <laughs> yeah, but there's all these netherese that can take care of it, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up my my part there. Uh, if people want to support the show, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Uh, become a supporter there for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, that is how I pay the bills and, and what have you for for what is the Tome Show and all of the other shows there. Mike Shea. Yo. You are the final speaker. Which right. means, and you're usually the one who who has to leave first, so you get I'm, to set your own time. Twenty three good minutes, twenty three <laughs> solid minutes. So right. I'm running Rami the Frostmaiden. I'm not as far along as Sam. Uh, I've 
you know, part of what I'm doing is like I'm 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 running it because I also want to offer thoughts and advice and try to help people run it because lots of people run the published adventures. Uh, and yeah, I've, I've, you know, I keep kind of changing my conclusions about it or, or I come up with things where I think these are important tips that I would pass along. And then I come up with some others. And like one of the things that's really clear to me now is like chapter one is way too big, right? For the level range that it's covering, it's got way too much information there. And, and I know like Sam, I can see Sam gritting his teeth right now, right? <laughs> Grinding down his molars about like, you know, well, you let them do this stuff, but like I've only run a little bit more than half the quests, right? And still it's taken forever. And still they're like going through a lot of stuff. And part of it is like I added things as, you know, DMs tend to do, right? Well, so hold on. You you yeah. act like I, I, I mean, I only ran like, I think four of the quests and it still took me 16 sessions. Right. 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 So well, I'm, I'm yeah, not actually I thought you said it took you like 16 you. sessions, in, in, including chapter two. Right. Where like I hadn't even started uh, chapter two stuff yet. No. So I sort of lumped cha chapter two chapter in two. at the end. So like my chapter two, three and four was probably five of 19 sessions. So yeah. it's still, it was okay. still probably a good, you know, and that, that may end up, yeah, that may end up being how I go. Uh, that chapter two will start. I, I almost certainly chapter two is going to be shorter. But like, oh, my God. And like, you know. I didn't even put a bunch of the quests in, in the way. And I learned some things like the 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 unseen quest, which takes place in Sierra Cone or Kier Koenig. You can move that. And I moved it to East Haven. I think last time we were talking, I was like having this whole problem, like how the hell I'm going to get the Durgar quest in front of him. Mm -hmm. And and the answer was, uh, uh, move it, move the quest. It doesn't matter. Like you're, you're tracking tracks through the snow. You could do that in any town, right? So I moved it to East Haven, so, which meant there was kind of two big quests in East Haven and then, and I sort of mashed together the uh, what's the quest that's after toil and trouble. The other quest that's in East Haven, where you get involved in the, with the Dwargar, Ca the caper. Uh, yeah, the, so the I, caper, I mixed yeah. the caper. I mixed the caper in with uh, the unseen, and the results from the caper pointed instead of going to the ship and having local Dwargar that you chased, it instead they grabbed the masthead and they hauled it off to their to their fort, and they did that. So my Wednesday group, uh, which I primarily talk about here. Uh, they are at the, um, they, they, so my Wednesday group actually got through it, right? They finished the Duergar thing. They, they, the East Haven, the captain at East Haven is interrogating, um, Nareth, uh, in one of the Sunblight dwarves, uh, to find out where Sunblight Fortress is. And in the meantime, the characters, uh, one of their own has a symbiote, a Mindfire symbiote in their head. And they said, well, we, you know, we were pretty sure if we go to the, that crashed ship, we can get rid of that. They went there and found out that one of the other characters family had been grabbed up by mind flayers and a bunch of them had been turned into gnomish mind flayers. So I, I, I dropped the gnomish mind flayer thing in there that worked out. And it was kind of neat. Cause like they were mind flayers that hadn't yet been accepted into the collective. So they still had some of the, they, they're like, I'm not your father, but I remember your, everything your father knew. Right. And it's like, I don't feel what they feel, but I, but I know what he wanted and I know what he would have wanted for you. And we're not bad. And really all we want to do is get this ship flying so we can get the hell out of here because we don't want to stay here. But then they found out there's another group of mind flayers who actually called the old ones who are the ones that actually ran the ship and they left the crash ship and they took a, uh, elder brain, uh, pod thing and they want to set up an elder brain there. 
Well, there's also Githyanki in the area, and the Githyanki are like, if we find out that there's Mind Flayer influence in here, we're going to burn this place to the ground. We'll burn this entire, we'll destroy this whole planet if we have to. So I'm trying to like scale up and scale up and scale up, right? But of course, that's like a big subplot, and like I don't know, <laughs> that's not a big subplot. That's a whole different campaign, and honestly, one that I would campaign, prefer. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and I, so I've got that. So that's one twentieth level campaign that I can put on there, and then right. I've got the whole Elder Evil that's being awakened in the ice named Thrun, and that's another twentieth level campaign. So like I've I've got sort of these other seeds that I've thrown out there because I thought it was fun, and then you're like, yeah, but then there's also this other part. Um, so the characters by, found by this out other that, part, you mean the adventure as written. Adventure, right? Yeah. The actual adventure. <laughs> right. So, the you know one thing I did is I I wanted because I feel like a lot of the locations in chapter two have no real connection to stuff, and some of the rumors, some of the rumors and stuff are like really weak, you know. And so, instead, I kind of sat down and said, okay, how am I going to tie all this stuff together? Like, I've got these interesting locations; they're cool. I want to have I want to have things that tie them together. So an example is, what if the Knolls had made it over to the ship and stole the heart of the ship, and now they're worshiping it in Cackling Chasm? They think it's going to give them some power that's going to you know, help them defeat um, Teklili, who's the Null vampire who separated. You know, I'm like, oh, let's tie the Nulls of the Cackling Chasm to the Null vampire that you have over here by the fact that that was a runt Null that they threw out of the pack, and then he drank blood from a pool, and now he's like crazy powerful and then he comes back and regularly like rips the gnolls to shreds just because he doesn't like them right he likes to torture them and so they want some power and they think this heart is going to do it the characters have to go to the cackling chasm deal with the gnolls get the heart bring it back to the ship the ship goes and then at that i think i i guess at that point i don't know if i had a thread from that but like one of the other big threads is Design, right? So design is burned to the stake. Design has a bunch of books. One of the things about design is he has a map to he he knows about the Netheril city, and he has a map to the spire. So then they go to the spire, and of course there's design, right? And and you know so that'll be fun. Like did we see you burned to death? Like what are you talking about? Right? And they, you got fun simulacrum stuff. So I'm trying to like tie together a lot of the locations that I think will be fun. With with like a sinew of story that doesn't exist in the book. So like, I don't know why. And maybe Sam, who actually read it, can tell me like, <laughs> what is the re- why would the characters go visit uh, the uh, who's the name of uh, Gant, right? Valish Gant. Uh-huh. So Valish Gant's in jail in 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 Revel's End. Mm-hmm. Why do the characters why would the characters go there at all? Is there any reason for it? Yeah, so I, uh, no, in my no. mind, no. So, so, I, I'm like, so hey, when I when I read it, so here's the problem: is Valish Gant was actually one of the main people in the Legacy of the Crystal yeah. Shard, right. and but they don't make any reference to that other than that maybe that's why he's in jail. Right. Like, so, but they don't actually, even say that in rhyme. In my group, I don't know if anybody else in my group played legacy but like my wife did so she remembers this stuff from a bunch of years ago right she's like oh i heard that Baelish can wasn't he that guy that kidnapped the uh, Brynn? so I'm, I'm bringing in the whole storyline from crystal shard mm-hmm. that it occurred five years ago right yeah. and so the howling fiend and the masthead and the fouling fiend mm-hmm. and the idea that Baelish gant is in jail but wouldn't it be interesting if Baelish gant he's like hey guess what i know stuff one of the things mm-hmm. i know is like i know what you need in order to get down to the city below and I know that you need to do it if you want to stop the endless night, because one of the things I want to do is tie the Mithalar to the mm-hmm. spell that's causing the endless night. You have to do both. Right. You have to have the codicil of the white mm-hmm. and you have to have the Mithalar. And only by 
dealing with both things, can you actually get rid of the endless night? That's one of the ways I want to kind of tie those two areas together. Because as written, you're like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, hey, we got rid of the endless night. Are we done with the adventure? No, go to the city. Why? I don't know. Some woman said to do it. So, yeah, it's it's very thin. It's very thin. A lot of the, And so a lot of the motivations are thin. And then I, I fall back to like, well, it's it's because it's meant to be this kind of big exploratory adventure where your curiosity should be the mm-hmm. driver, not, not any threads. That's great. But like both of my groups, when I did Stars and Wishes with them, and I was like, what do you want? And they're both like, I can't wait till the story starts happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And I was like, yeah. guess what, guys? There's no story. So then I, I had this <laughs> other thought. And I, know I, sh- I shared it with you, right? And one of the thoughts I had was like, what if he just got rid of the entire Duergar part? Like, what if, you know, like it would simplify a lot. Like, what if you tied Yethrin with the Frost Maiden, with, with mm-hmm. Oral, through the Mithalar and through the through the Codicil of the White? You have these two things. And then you just don't have Duergar in it, right? And, you, you know, granted, you're like throwing two and a half chapters away. But they don't have anything to do with anything. Like, the, the closest I've got, it, and, you know, I know how you feel about, like, their whole, like, oh, they think that Deep Dura is telling them to do this, and it turns mm-hmm. out it's Asmodeus, and what the hell does Asmodeus care? Right? Yeah, you're shaking your head, and I can see. So, like... Well, that's that's why I changed that whole part, because right. it was a bunch of crap, right? So my thought was, like, <laughs> what if Oral was the one that did that? Like, Oral went to Sunblade, and Oral was the one that said, destroy 10 towns. And he's like, okay, I'm going to destroy 10 towns because Deep Dura told me to. And Oral's just like, no, I just hate people, right? I want to have a clean slate. I want to have it fully glaciered over. I don't want any people here. I'm retired. I'm a retired god, right? And I'm going to build a throne here in the icy north and forget about all the nonsense that's going on in the world, right? And going on in the multiverse. And and one of the ways I'm going to do it is by like having my druids create sentient animals that will go eat people. And I'm going to have hags that are doing their hag stuff. Maybe the hags are the ones that know about it, right? And I'm going to have, you know, if that doesn't work and have these dwarves build a big war machine and destroy it, right? And that'll be fine. So that way, at least there's like a tie that, you know, Oral's motivation is, is bringing everything together. That's how I'm going to run it now because both my groups, I've already started the Duergar stuff. But I think if I had spent a little bit more time on it, I might have just said, you know what? I'm skipping the whole Duergar part. Um, part of it is like the, 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 um, the, the, the fortress, not the big fortress, but the little campsite where the, uh-huh. or, well, the outposts, yeah, on right? Kelvin's Cairn. Yeah. Boring as hell. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing going on in that place. Right. It's, oh, yeah. I had to. I embellished the hell right. out of it. I, had to embellish I put a whole bunch of shardlin in it and yeah, different I, plans. And I gave it a whole blueprints. history that yeah. like, dragonborn mercenaries used to be there a hundred years ago when they were working for a car Kessel. When a car mm-hmm. was bringing everybody, all these armies together. One of them he had was like this small group of dragonborn mercenaries, right? And that way, there's like dragonborn. Back when statues. there were no dragonborn in the world. I don't care. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's special. He brought them in. Right? Yeah, was the one that absolutely portals to Abir or whatever the hell. So, <laughs> you know, he's plane walker himself. He had pit fiends working for him. So, um, yeah. So I thought like that at least has some kind of interesting, you know, one layer of flavor that exists on top of there. And even after that, it's still kind of a boring place, right? Yeah. And also very poorly written. Like the the um, a lot of the flavor text is directional. Like we expect mm-hmm. you came through the left door and then you're like, well, my characters came in through the right. Mm-hmm. And now it reads very, it's very confusing. Yeah. Right. So, well, and the thing is it's, it it's large and it has like cells and whatnot in it, but there's just really nothing there. Like right. It's, it's just it's very, very boring. You're very likely to get to the boss 
defeat the boss. And then like, well, let's go south. And then there's like, well, here's a room full of like, you know, Myconid people. And you're right. like, doesn't have, you know, no reason to deal with it at all. And now I got another two hours of my game spent dealing with that crap. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's just weird, you know? And, and so I'm like, okay, if I already don't like that, I don't even know what I'm going to think of Sunblight Fortress. I haven't really looked at it. And I, I like some of the stuff that I've heard. I like that there's, you know, Grandolfa is there and the sons don't like Grandolfa because they think Grandolfa kicked him out. But actually it was their dad that kicked him out. And Grandolfa is really smart. And, and, you know, Zardarok is an idiot. And, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. there's like a lot of like in, fun things that we can do with that. So I'm hoping I will still enjoy it. We'll see how I feel about it. If I feel like it's, is it worth running? Because all I, like, I still don't. There's so many parts of the Shardalon Dragon where I'm like, wait a minute. So we got this like huge machine where I've got a miniature that I bought that weighs like 15 tons and takes mm-hmm. up an entire table for a guy that has 190 hit points or something. Like he's got. Oh, know, see, I gave him max HP. Right. So they just, ta- otherwise they would have taken him out. Right. Yeah. Right. But, so you know, here, here's the thing. My party basically, my players were like. The 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 argument they had with each other as they were as the dragon flew away, they were like, should we go into the fortress? Because if it's a construct, we might go into the fortress and find something to be able to control it with or to shut it down. That sounds like a reasonable hypothesis. Yeah, Only all the towns are destroyed right, by the time you cut there's Right. But and and but also there's not anything in there unless you add it yourself. Uh and so I was like, oh crap, I hope they don't decide that because Right. They'll be wrong. Right. How how great would your game be? How right. how how happy would everybody be if you're like, hey man, you right. you were the guys that thought there was something in there to control it. Yeah. And now all of Ten Towns is destroyed. Right. Right. Well, like, and then, then once they destroy once they destroyed the dragon, they're like, screw it, we're not going back to the fortress. We don't care about that. Like <laughs> right. you there's, know? there's 90 rooms of content yeah. well spent. Right. GM Scott wants to know how the Shardland Dragon makes sense without the Duragar. If you were to go that route. You don't have it. You don't have a Duergar. Just, why, why just, yeah, just, just get rid of the dragon? Yeah, Mike's, no Mike's talking about leaving out all of chapter problem. three and four. Right. Get rid of all that. Yeah. Like, you don't need it. Except you already spent so much money on the mini. I know. <laughs> right? I'm going to have to do something with that. I, I don't know if I bought it if I'd known what the stats of the guy were. You know, like this tiny little. Yeah, I, to- I totally changed it. I made him really powerful. Boost the stats and, and stick it in the city at the end as an old Netherese construct or something. <laughs> sure, right. I got yeah. a million ways I can use a giant yeah. metal dragon. I'm not worried about that. But but yeah, so there's just but all the stuff about like how many towns does it destroy before you're able to get up to it and all these other little bits. And it's like, you know, I, I want the players like. I want the players to be able to have some agency in this situation other than like, I don't know, however fast we go is how many towns are destroyed, right? Like, again, think about it from a seven samurai standpoint. What if they're in the towns and they find out that the dragon plus like a bunch of armies are coming to attack and you got to figure out how to deal with that, right? You're, how do you defend 10 towns from from this thing, right? And give them, give them some opportunities to actually try something other than a race. That doesn't make any sense anyway because if you look at the speeds in the book, the speeds in the book are all kind of screwed up well yeah i had to totally change that too right (laughs) oh my god they're changing so much so yeah so i mean like but part of me is like whatever i'm gonna punt on all this stuff right i'm punting on yetherin i'm punting on oral and her stats which are also a big problem i'm punting on all this i'll like figure it out as i go and in the meantime it's like i'm gonna build this network of quests and keys and and paths that the characters can follow to like do interesting things. So like the bell, right? And in the book, is the bell just there? They don't actually have to go get the bell, do they, Sam? I can't remember. 
Oh, it's just there as far it's as just, I remember. Right. I, I'm the one who made it yeah, not there. Which makes yeah. perfect sense, right? Like if, you know, the bell is a key, you know, I, I really right. like this idea. From like Numenera has this like concept of keys and the keys mm -hmm. are mobile. Mm -hmm. So the idea is like they need the bell in order to ring it so that they can get to Oral's to right. the to right. stall, right? So well, and the thing is, Oral's, Oral's, Oral's island is supposed to be secret in a secret location, but some of her cultists probably go to her chosen at least go pilgrimage there. So obviously, if you're if there's a if there's a a, a, a a basically if the chosen of Oral are competing with each other to get her best favor, you know what? If I'm a chosen of Oral and I got to ring that bell to get over to her island to go pay homage and pilgrimage over there, I'm going to take the bell with me so the next Yahoo following me <laughs> right, doesn't yeah. get that opportunity right, because I'm yeah. a better chosen than they are. You know, right? the adventures just follow this stuff. Right. Like then I think about, oh, yeah, that's right. Grimskull and all the trials. Well, I don't want to run those either. <laughs> right? And then that's like then Yethrin. I'm like, I'm reading Yethrin stuff. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to run that stuff either. So like everything I run into, I run into stuff where I'm like, I don't want to do that. You've layered in these two completely different campaigns that have very little to do with with Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. And it sounds like you just want to transition to go do that. So maybe it's you not, do. Well, I, I don't I don't feel like it's because I feel like I could do better, right? It's not like I look at those and say, oh, that was a missed opportunity. I, 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 they should have done X. It's like, I look at them, like, I look at how that's written and I don't think it's going to be fun when I run it. And now I have to come up with something else, right? And th this idea of like, you know, weird ass trials where you have to go eat a guy, right? And like, the, I think, right? Isn't there one where you have to like murder dudes? And you're like, you know what, the, the problem I have with those trials- the, the, the problem I have with those trials is not even that they're asking them to do things that are bad. It's that if you decide not to do the horrible things that Oral wants you to do, and so you don't get the thing to open the door, some freaking frost druids show up and open it right, anyway. They do it anyway. Like right. it's complete. It's it. It's not necessary <laughs> right. whatsoever. It's 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 like the masks from Tyranny of Dragons. Right. I go back to like I don't know how Wizards is writing these things because like. It's the same one of the this is where like we all know better than this. Like like um Waterdeep Dragon Heist with the hey, let's have a big chase in order to grab the stone of galore. And then there's like a three paragraph thing in there about how the stone doesn't want to be found. And if you get it too early, it revolts and it makes itself get stolen again. And you're like, what Deus Ex Mechana nonsense is that? <laughs> like right? Like who had to write that in later and be like, oh man. You know, like, oh, uh, what if they, what if they, what if they cast a venture door and they steal it in the scene one in our chapter, that's 40 pages long for a chase, right? It, it, there's, there's, there's a lot of this stuff so, that's in there throughout. So hold on. So there's a person in chat, Christopher yeah. Scratch. I yeah. just want to say, cause, cause he's saying it's disappointing to hear. I love this adventure and the changes I've made have not been taking it far from what what is actually written i just made changes to add threads so that the connections right. are stronger than what's written and there are a few things i'm leaving out like i think those trials are really stupid but i kept in all the dwergar stuff i kept in the dragon i just changed it from asmodeus because i hate asmodeus sure everywhere but i but most of what i've done has been changing it within the constraints of the book itself and just adding information and leaving out things that we just literally don't have time to do yeah. and the ones i leave 
leave out are based on personal preference. So I don't want you to get the idea if any audience member listening that it's a super horrible adventure and you should be disappointed about its crappy quality because that's not my opinion. That might be Mike's opinion. Pretty bad. It's not my <laughs> I really like this adventure. It's up there in the top three for me. Oh, man. Adventures. Oh, but, Sam. But, but part of that is because of our styles. I am a heavy heavy sandbox proponent. I love running like that. And I know that it's really hard to produce an adventure that, that, that supports that style of play and does it really well. And there are flaws in this adventure, but there are flaws in every adventure. And the flaws in this adventure for me are easy to work around because it's sandboxy. So yeah. And I'm, and I'm finding it. So, and that, that to me is, I think where I, where I, you know, where, how I kind of rate adventures, like I'm just, I'm doing a lot of work, right? Some of it, yes, is like Mike Shea wants to do it a certain way and he just doesn't want to play with it. But but some of it, like, I don't think I'm alone, right? Like, you don't like the trials. You recognize that the time doesn't work on the on the dragon attack. You had your players skip an entire chapter because they're like, we're not going back to that place, right? So, like, we're hitting the same stuff, right? You thought the Duergar Fort or the Duergar Fort was boring. Like, you know, <laughs> we're not, we're not right, disagreeing but, about the problem. But, but- Right, but my my response to to the Dwergar Fort being boring is add a bunch spice of stuff in it. It'll be yeah. clues for them to follow up for other stuff. I could which I could is, spice which up is things all day long and not stuff. spend fifty bucks. <laughs> right? Like I yeah. I could grab a Dyson map and right. There's a difference that everybody has about what's a deal breaker for them, right? Uh, because in this case, like what's a deal breaker for Mike is not a deal breaker for Sam. What's a deal breaker for Mike? Uh, on Descent into Avernus is not a deal breaker for me in Descent into Avernus, right? And, and, and the changes that I made in Descent, the changes that, that Sam is making in Rhyme are the kind of things that are within the bounds of what normal changes a DM makes when they're running an adventure because I would, yeah, that happens a lot. Me. But, but, and, and that's, and I think that's fine. Um, we're all different DMs looking for different things. I, I also have no interest in running Rhyme, uh, because of the flaws that I see in it. Uh, in that way, Mike and I are aligned. But I know that's not always the case because I really loved running Descent into Avernus and Mike uh, has nothing but bad things to say about me. I mean it. Uh, nothing <laughs> but bad things to say. I've got some good things to say. But it, it's another one where like I read it and I'm like, I got to do a lot of work, right? Like I have to do a lot of work. Where like you know, when I look at the starter set adventure or the essentials kit adventure or curses drought or ghost of salt march or tomb of annihilation, which are like my top ones. Like I, did I do work for those? Yeah. But that was all work that I enjoyed doing. Those were changes that I wanted to make because I wanted to. Not because you had, you felt like you needed to, to make it work. Not because I felt like this thing will fall apart. Yeah. Th- this thing will fall apart. If I tried to run it as is. my group would not enjoy it. And the end result is like, I'm going to play through it. I'm going to do videos about how we can make things better. I'm going to you know, write articles about how we can make things better. And my group will enjoy it. They are enjoying it. I will enjoy it, you know, and, and at the end I'll look back fondly on the campaigns that we're running. Um, but, but yeah, like, and, and like I said, I'm just punting on the problems right now. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do about the trials. Right. I don't even know what I'm going to do with the dragon. Like right now I'm worried about like, okay, how, how's the, the fight in the cackling chasm going to work out for him? I suspect that Rhyme is one of the two adventures they've published that I'm probably never going to even pull from unless I happen to just say, hey, we're going to go to the city and I'm going to use it to hide it a kaiju. It probably in. has a lot to pull from. Yeah, right? sure. It's probably, it probably is not a bad one to like hit with a hammer and it breaks into 25 pieces and then you can. Well, and that's what I did with Tomb of Annihilation. The whole prison thing with Revel's End. I'm not. I, my players. My players don't even know that thing exists right. because I have. 
I haven't not I've not said anything about, but it's a really cool kind of That's location. My point, right? I look at and, it and go, it's cool, and I yeah, want to do I, I can take that and do something out, do right. something else with it. It's not a problem for me, you know. But, but also, I don't normally run published adventures. I've I've I usually run my own homebrew with pieces of published adventures in it. And I don't keep most of the published, but like if you look at the shelves behind me, there's not a whole shelf of D and D published adventures. I usually get rid of them after I read them. Wow. Once I've determined I'm going to run it or I'm not. And I'll probably, you, I have salt marsh on my shelf. I've got tales from the yawning portal on my shelf. I've got rhyme on my shelf and I've got, um, tomb of annihilation is on my shelf. Those are the adventures that I kept. That tells you something about my style and the type of you know things that I enjoy, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying other adventures are bad. They're just not, you know. I I, I also have the starter set because I think Fandelver is a fantastic starting adventure. It's one of the best starting adventures for any edition, right? But but I I have a particular style, and this happens to fit it. And I see the holes as opportunities for me to make the game my own and fit in with my play style and my and my players play style and i totally understand the argument of yeah but i paid 50 bucks for this i should it should be tighter like i totally get that argument i just it's not it's not a complaint i have yeah and 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 it's it's very possible i'm not being fair that other people run the trials and they run great or that like they they, that sort of grim I mean, the problem is I just played an adventure where you had to do a bunch of grim stuff, you yeah. know? And so here's another one where like that, that grim idea of like, you have to really make sacrifices in order to, um, you know, in, in order to get along with the, with the, with the greater mission. I mean, maybe it's working for people, you know? And if it is great, like, you know, but I, but I could just tell, like, I know, like, you know, I look like Earl's, Earl's going to get killed in one hit with a paladin. <laughs> at, at this point, I think we're – I feel like we're talking in circles uh, and it's pro- – and, and Mike's about to turn into a pumpkin. So we might as well, yep. I think, wrap up the episode at this point. Sure. Uh, yeah. If that sounds fair. Um, so this has been Behind the DM Screen. It is totally July of 2021. What else? Uh, if you want to get a hold of me on Twitter, I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. You can find Mike. He is at Sly Flourish. You can find Sam. He is at DM Samuel. You can find the show. It is at The Tome Show. We have a Discord. We have a Facebook. We have, I don't know. We probably have a, we used to have a G+. That's probably gone. So anyway, uh, that is our discussion of our games. Uh, we'll come back next month and we'll talk some more. You can go find other shows like this one at thetomeshow.com. And say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>